Blessings to everyone in the middle of our uh, fall series. We've been talking about this idea of building blocks for sustainable faith, and we're basing it around some of the first verses out of 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to talk more about that, but I just want to go ahead and just, you know, I know we've been able to worship together and sing, and but I want to pray a blessing over what we're about to do and share together. And so, Lord, I just, you know, I thank you. For, I thank you for the beauty of this day, and I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I just want to pray a blessing over everyone who's here. Everyone who's here made a decision to, to come into your house, a place where your name is loved. And, um, you know, maybe we came with in different things on our mind, uh, different motives, but we're here and we're present. And I pray that you would give us a gift. I pray that you would give us the gift of a soft heart, that we would drop our guards, be open a little bit, just the things you might want to say to us as we think about who you are and what it means for our life, what it means to have a faith that is growing. I just pray the blessing. Give us the ability to, to just focus our mind for a little bit here and open up our hearts to you. I ask this, Lord. I ask the blessing right now, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, God. Let it be. So this idea of uh, sustainable faith and uh, building blocks in you know, the, the part of the building blocks has been pretty easy to identify. We've talked about different components, faith, and we'll talk about that in a bit more here, what we're going to look at in a moment. But the sustainable faith part, this was part of what we were hoping all of us could engage in. We've kind of been talking about how there are a lot of things that we face, you know, problems, challenges. Even the song that we just finished singing talked about that, you know, the changes in life. But there's also, we, we kind of identified certain categories that, that challenge us. Sometimes we talked about the big things that are going on in our world and how sometimes they can affect us. You know, we, we've been, unless we've just totally not been aware of it, you know, sort of isolated, many of us know that there, you know, there, there are wars going on right now. There's unrest in the Middle East. Uh, one of my closest friends is in Jerusalem right now and they're having riots breaking out. And uh, we just prayed for each other. And you know, there's, there's things happening. There's, like, amazing violence and brutality taking place and, and then economic unrest and changes in the political realms and, of course, diseases breaking out. Just stuff happens all the time, and it can kind of create a kind of fear and paranoia. And I've had more than a few people come to me actually kind of saying, you know, I just feel afraid. I thought, wow, you know, um, how does our faith show up when we kind of have a world that's not at rest? And so we talked about the, the big picture <laughs> You know, things that are going on around us. And, but sometimes the truth is, and we mentioned this, that some of us, you know, we have so, many, so much stuff going on in our own life. And because we're not directly affected by the stuff that's happening in the world, honestly, we got the truth. We have enough stuff happening that we're trying to deal with just in our own life, relationally. Some of us is at work. Uh, maybe we even came in here knowing that we have things that we're going to have to deal with on Monday that are challenging for us. Maybe it has to do with the way we're getting along with a a boss, or maybe we're a person who's a manager and we're having issues with some of the people we're responsible for. We've got project deadlines. We might feel pressure on us, tremendous pressure on us. Uh, we might be having relational issues in our home, in our marriage. They are difficult. Some of us have financial things that we're having to face off with, and others of us, it's, it can be health issues. I mean, the point is, is that there are a lot of things that affect us at an external level that oftentimes are really challenging in and of themselves. And it's almost like we're going, you know, how does my faith show up in the everyday challenges of my life? And that's not even to mention the third category that we identified, which is the things that are going on inside of us. So we've got the big picture in the world stuff. We've got stuff that's going on just in relationships, at work, and other places that we're connecting. 
And then we have what's going on inside of us. And sometimes that's the most challenging thing, right? I mean, we're dealing with things. We're trying to get past things. We've, some of us, you know, I just talked to a lot of people, you know, and some of us have, you know, things with, with our faith that are really tough because we, we most are feeling really discouraged and we feel discouraged or depressed. We drop into unhealthy habits. Some of us are really having a hard time in our thought life. You know, we go through ups and downs and we tend to be extreme. Others of us has to do with things of our past that kind of keep haunting us. Might be feeling ashamed of something. Uh, you know, feeling lonely, angry, resentful. These are real things. Sometimes feeling of so being so weak that we feel vulnerable to stuff that we don't even want to do anymore. But we feel kind of powerless. How does our faith show up there? And then we've been talking about and then And then last, I'm going to add a, a final, another category. I'm going to call it just the, the hassles of life. The, 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 they may not be huge issues. They may not be like big relational stuff, and they may not be stuff that's going outside of us, but it's just little bits of things that are happening. You know, we lose something. Something gets broken that we weren't expecting. A bill came in that we weren't anticipating. You know, something we were hoping would come through. It kind of did we get a bad ticket. You know, some, anything. It could be anything, right? Something breaks down. And, you know, we have a problem with a, something that we purchased, and it's just like it's a hassle now, or we're having to deal with some things. And it's just, they're not big things, but they start to add up. And if they happen to in, you know, pretty quick succession, they can start to build a narrative in our life, right? And that narrative, actually, if it starts to compound itself, can become very difficult for us, right? It starts to, starts to create a feeling of discouragement. And maybe some of, I'll give you an example. From in my last week, um, under the category of, you know you're having a bad day when, okay? <laughs> That category. Uh, I was, I was, my wife and I had this plan uh, to get away uh, at, um, we were, we were going to get away for a couple of days just to spend some quality time with each other. You know, we're at a different stage in life. Our kids are older now, and there's some times when we can strategically get away and just sort of in, reinvest into our relationship. And that's important time. We wanted to have some time to read and talk and um, I mean, just enjoy one another's company, talk about the Lord, just be, be together, you know. And so we had planned this little mini, mini little trip to, to just get away to go to Yosemite. And so we had planned to go the, the, into the lodges in Yosemite Valley. And the point is, we, we drove up there, and um, you know, it, was a, it was a decision we had made to just enjoy this time together. We get there, and the first, you know, we arrive in the afternoon. This again, just a couple of days ago. Arrive in the afternoon, and we open up all our doors. It's beautiful. It's, it's you know, we, we start changing our shoes, our clothes, and then, oh, if you go to Yosemite, what happens is they always tell you, make sure that before you leave your car, that you have taken all the food out of your car. Because they'll show you these, these they have this running screen that shows you bears just breaking into cars, ripping off doors and trunks and anything. So they say, if you leave food in there, this is the risk you're taking. So we were extra careful, right? I mean, we made sure we got all of, we moved our food, we got everything, we double checked, moved everything, but we had the doors open at the time and we were just kind of going through. We, didn't, we weren't kind of paying that much attention, but we got everything out, we moved it up, and then later on we spent the afternoon and then the evening and we were looking forward to the following day. So I got up early because I wanted to warm the car up. We're gonna take a short little drive through the valley. Was, so I get up at around 6.30. Uh, well, was, I walked out around 6.30, and I'm looking, and I'm going, this is great, Lord. What a day. 
beautiful. I'm looking up there at the, at the surroundings. I mean, these, these giant walls of granite. I mean, you see El Capitan. I mean, just beautiful stuff, right? I feel, oh, how good. Ah, I feel really good, Lord. And um, I, I, I walk down to the car. And I look in the car. Now, all the doors are locked. I didn't unlock anything. Um, I literally didn't just pressed it when I got there. Nothing's open, no trunk, nothing. And I'm looking, and I go, I just happened at first glance in the back seat, uh, behind the driver's seat. And I go, what is that? It looked like a bunch of popcorn was just all over my back seat. And I go, Cheryl, right? It's my wife. <laughs> it's my wife. It's my wife. <laughs> no, I, but the thing it was, the thing it was, is I'm looking at it, I'm going, what is that? I go, how's that? There's nothing that's been broken. There's no... Nothing's in. How did that happen? I'm looking at it, and the trunk's closed. Everything's locked, except for when I just unlocked everything. I'm going. So I open up the door, and I open up the door, and again, you know, we closed that door 19 hours earlier, and never opened it back up. So I open up the door, and what I thought was popcorn was actually shredded insulation and cushion in my seat. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm going, what happened? Right? I, I, I look at it, literally, the, it's been torn open. And that was not, it was not like the seats were, were originally stuffed with shredded cushion. Right? <laughs> that was not, it, it, that it was once a block of cushion. So I'm going, what in the world? You know those moments when you look at something and your mind can't quite catch up with what's actually happened? Because I look at each seat, and each seat's got its own rip and tears. Yeah, the car, you know, it's about eight years old, a little over 110,000 miles, but it had nice seats. Leather seats were nice. They were nice seats. And I, 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 I couldn't believe it. So I, I, I walk around, I go, what is going on? I don't see anything. How did so I walk around the other side, I open up the passenger door, and I'm looking. And then I was looking at the front seat on the driver's side, and I look, and I look, and then all of a sudden, underneath the seat, I see fur. <laughs> I see fur. Okay. Uh, I see fur, and I go, what is that? And I look, and underneath it, I look, and, and I didn't get too close, right, because I'm on this side, and it's a squirrel. There's a squirrel in my car. It's been there for about 19 hours. <laughs> when my wife left the door open. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was a joke. I don't know how it got in. The fact of the matter is, I walk, this is a, I get, I go, I can't believe this. You gotta be. So I walk up, I walk up, I walk back out. I didn't even, I couldn't get him out. So I just walk up the stairs. I say, hon. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, but a squirrel destroyed the inside of our car. <laughs> she goes, take a picture. <laughs> I go, did you hear what I just said? Don't go take a picture of the squirrel. So I'm walking, I'm going, I'm right. So I'm walking down, right? And then I'm thinking in my head, I'm going, oh, yeah. First I started getting down, I was thinking about it. I was going, you know what? This can go from a bad day to a really bad day. If I get too close to this thing, and I just had this vision of the squirrel going in its panic, 
right? And the next thing you know, I'm going in for rabies shots. So I'm saying, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I finally found a way to get him out of there. Well, by the time he was out of there, I'm looking at him and I'm going, I, I can't believe this. Like, who, when does this happen? How does it happen? How can you, and you know, I, it was like, I was just feeling so bad for myself. I was looking at the, the cushion and I'm going, this is awful. Honestly, throughout the whole day, every time I looked in my back seat, I got discouraged. I thought, this is going to be a hassle. I got so many. I call, how am I even going to tell? I felt even ashamed to just, I, how do I even call them something? You know what? I got a, all my seats have been destroyed by a squirrel. It's like, even the way it sounded, you know, I was, so I just finally, you know, we started, we started driving and, and just honestly, Every time I saw a squirrel, I, there was a part of me said, I know your relative. I know you're guilty by association. You're, I know your family. <laughs> so it ended up being, now, the re- part of what the challenge ended up being for me was, remember the original reason we'd come, was to invest in, in one another and to have some time together. And honestly, for me, that actually was a, the, the way that day started made this a real, actually became a, a, an issue for my, me because how do I then, some of you, it's not a problem at all. You can go, oh, that's sad, I don't worry about it, sure. But I was like bummed out about it. So how do I get my attitude? Because you know when you, you think, if we aren't careful, that was, we can take something that was meant for good and then something goes wrong and then all of a sudden everything is ruined. And we allow it. And, then, and I knew it just knew me, because in, in the past, I had a pattern of, I had a vision of the way I wanted it to go. And then when something gets really out of whack, then it ruins my ability to then enjoy what, what was supposed to be enjoyed. And the real value gets diminished because it can't get past the flaw. And that can happen to us. So part of this became actually a, a growth piece. And I, I think I did a lot better than I would have done in earlier years. Not perfect by any means on that. But it just reminded me that the topic that we're talking about is extremely rele- relevant. It's relevant whether it's having to do with big stuff that's going on in our world or stuff that's going on in our life or stuff that's going on inside of us or just hassles that sort of hijack our day and will propel us, if we're not careful, into a really bad place that can ruin it for a lot of other people who, who love us and who are supposed to love. And so we have to guard our own heart. We have, this is what, I guess what I'm saying is this is the places when our faith in Jesus needs to show up. And it's kind of what Peter's talking about here. Think about it. He says, look, get your faith and add to it. And you can see it in the passage there, Second Peter 1. Make all diligence, make all your effort to add to your faith. And he mentions these things. Virtue, we talked about it. This idea of moral excellence, character. Then to that knowledge, have an informed faith, balanced in wisdom. Then add to that, remember we talked about it, self-control. And then the thing that I needed right in that moment, a lot more of, perseverance, and the ability to go through something positively, even though it wasn't great. And then Peter says, and then on top of all that, I want you to add one more, one more thing. And it's the thing that initially you look at it, you go, what is he talking about? Because he says, add to, your, add to these things godliness. Here's another building block. It's like, what is that? And I thought all these things had to do with being godly. Why does he then say, add to your faith, on top of all these other things, godliness. What does that mean? How, do, how are we supposed to understand that? 
Well, one of the things we know is that that word, when you translate it, it literally means to worship well. And at its core, it has this idea of loving God and living well for him. It's centered around that. And so, so it, it's something that both draws us towards God. This, this word that Peter's using here is something that, that really identifies how if we're following the Lord, we're going to be drawn towards him. So it has to do with the contemplative, reflective life with God. But also it has to do with then being drawn out for him so that we become compassionate and, and we are conversational, and Christ is being served on behalf our, to others, right? So there's this, this balance of both being drawn to him and drawn outward on his behalf. So when we think about this word, this idea of godliness, what does it mean? How do we grow in that? How do we grow in it? This is what I want to explore together in just the few minutes that we have to be able to also think about our own lives as we're interacting with it, because these are building blocks for a sustainable faith. So let me just put this up. And these first, a couple of them are going to seem, first one's going to seem so obvious, but it's actually a lot harder to do than it seems. And if you really think about what we're about to put up, it will actually be more challenging to actually identify what this actually means, even though we say it all the time. Number one, when we think about godliness, growth areas. We're talking about growing in our love for God. And I like to say sometimes just even growing in love with God. Um, it's an awareness of our need to draw closer to him and to, to have a, a, a growing knowledge, to know Jesus better and better with each day. You know, um, in Deuteronomy 10, God told the church of the Old Testament Israel from whom would come Messiah, Messiah Jesus, he was making a covenant with them, an agreement with them, and he, he said, what I want you to do is different than what other people are doing. He says, I don't want you to make any image of God. I, I don't want you to carve out something and then worship it. And yet, he invited them into a relationship, but with someone who was very far away. So it makes these words even more meaningful because it's like, what are you really getting at, God? And Jesus would later on quote this as well. Deuteronomy 10, God says this, and now Israel, my people, what does the Lord your God require of you? Look at this. But to fear, that is to, that's a healthy fear. That means to, to revere, to properly hold in place, to highly honor the Lord your God, to hold in awe and reverence, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve him, the Lord your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul. To throw your heart into this. And then to keep the commands of the Lord and his statutes, his words, his principles, which I've commanded you today. Look at that last phrase, you guys. Look at that last phrase. Commanded you because I want to just squeeze the life out of you. Commanded you because I don't want you to have any fun. Commanded you because I just want you to follow these rules. No. I've commanded you for your good. And that is huge. In the end, the words of the Lord are not life-constraining, although at times they may call us to yield things and surrender. They're actually life-giving. And when they are honored, as Jesus taught us, they will bring forth life. There is a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death. The way of the Lord is the way of life. Now, well, there was another occasion, switch it over to the New Testament, where the one who wrote the letter that we're exploring had an interaction with Jesus on the other side of his failure. When Peter and Jesus had an exchange around the Sea of Galilee after Peter had denied the Lord, Jesus had hit the cross and the resurrection had occurred. 
they had this interaction that takes place. Many of us have read about it before in John 21. It's also there. I just want to look at the question that Jesus asked. What was it? He turns to Peter. Remember, Peter's a broken man at this point. Before he was tough, he had bravado. He was confident in himself and his capacities. But he had experienced, like some of us may, and I hope we don't, but it happens at times, a devastating level of failure that had completely crippled his ability to think highly of himself, yet alone to believe that God could ever even use him in any way. He was so filled with shame that he could barely move forward. And all that he had done has gone back to what he had known. It's like he had given up on the idea that Jesus can ever use me. And at, at that moment, Jesus has this conversation that all the disciples, I suspect, knew had to happen. Because Jesus starts to help him heal. That's what he'll do with us too. And he asks him a question. Look at the question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, I've read that many times. Do you love me more than these? I think he pointed to the nets. The trade that he had, what he had gone back to. And Peter says, you know, he answers that question. But the, I just want to stop on that because a lot of times we just read it and we move right into the answer. Stop. Ask it to yourself as if he was asking you or asking me. Do you love me? Do you love me? What does that even mean? What do we mean when we say, what is Jesus getting at? This is huge, right? Do you love me? I mean, I think it was Towser who said, God waits to be wanted. In Psalm 42, um, the psalmist wrote at the beginning of that psalm, he, David, David was in the wilderness, and I think he saw something, and it tweaked him, and, and he said, it got him thinking, and he says, Oh, God, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. I thirst for you, O oh living God. There was something about David that he, he, he said, Just as that deer is drawn to the water, so am I drawn to you, God. I was made for you. I long for you. I thirst for you, living God. I mean, it's so good. And then you think about this. But how do we grow in love with someone? I think there's no way we can do it without spending time with them. When, one of the best things we can ever do if we really want to nurture a relationship is spend quality time and have quality time for interaction and converse, deep, genuine, honest <laughs> conversation experiencing joyful things together then connects our feeling of that person to that joyful thing. And um, there's something about how God wants us also to grow in love with him. He wants us to enjoy him, to, as the old catechism said from the Westminster Catechism, the whole duty of a human being is to, enjoy, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's part of what the Lord invites us into, a feast. Um, something of depth, something of genuine love. But that's one side of godliness is growing in love with God. But the second piece is this. And I hesitated to use this word. I almost didn't, what you're about to see. Part of me wanted to pull back because I thought it just won't make sense to our culture. But the second thing has to do with growth in holiness and humility. And it's the word holiness that I thought could be a potential stumbling stone because a lot of times people identify that with kind of rule-based religion or a kind of like self-righteousness, and it means neither. One of the things the Bible has to say about holiness, it has at its central core the idea of absolute purity, um, of wholeness, of true integrity. When we say something has integrity, part of the meaning is that it can have weight, it can bear weight and not collapse. 
So a chair has, to some degree, integrity if we can sit on it and not have it fall apart. The idea is something of wholeness and solidity. God is ultimately that. He is holy. There in, in the Bible says in him is no sin at all. In him is no, using the metaphor, he is light. And God is light. In him is no darkness at all. There, it's like you see utter purity when God, Jesus is describing God, our Father, as well. That there's something about God's nature. The Bible says, yes, and we focus on the one side of God's nature, which is God is love. He is. That's why he gave us Jesus. And, but there's also a side to God that is utterly holy. That is absolutely awesome. And one of the things he invites us to when we talk about godliness is sometimes following him is going to compel us then to look into our own heart because he is holy. He, is, he calls us to places of purity on the inner, inner being of who we are. That honestly, we cannot follow Christ with sincerity and, then, and, and engage him in his words and then not do what he says. Because he says this he, in John 14, I think it's 21. The one who has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. He said to people, he says, why do you, he's quoting Isaiah, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but then you don't do what I say? That presupposes spending time in his word to know what he says, and then it also means that there may be some things that are going to challenge me on the inside. Or there might be times where when I'm looking at what Jesus has to say, that I might realize that I'm, I, I may have to live a little bit counterculturally here that it's going to affect some of the ways that I talk and the things that I choose to do and the way in which I build my moral life will be affected by my desire to honor him in a holy way. Now, the danger, of course, is that it can be perceived as self-righteousness, and that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is something that is sincere and authentic. One of the things I realize is that um, a godly person rarely comes across as self-righteous because although there's an acknowledgement on the part of others that that person is religious, that that could happen. Like someone might go, oh, yeah, yeah, they're kind of into the, into the Jesus thing or a little bit religious. But there's not a pretentiousness about it. It's authentic. And when it's authentic, it's different. And what I mean by that is there's something about being able to identify ourselves with Jesus in a humble way you know, godliness is not put on piety, holy. It's, it's not window dressing that's just religious. That's not what we're talking about here. Godliness is something that emanates, listen, stay with, with genuineness. And so what happens is it's a genuineness that is not easily dismissed precisely because it is not trying to impress anyone, but simply attempting to reflect in a genuine way the reality or the beauty of who Christ is. And so what happens is because the goal is not to make anyone think of me as being religious, my goal is simply to live out of my relationship with him in a way that I'm not ashamed of him. I am not unwilling to bring him into conversations but it's really, in the end, not about the fact that I'm wearing a cross or church going or that I'm very familiar with Christianese and jargon and language of the Bible. Those are all good things to varying degrees. But really what it has to do with our own heart growing into a Christ-likeness. It's not an either-or scenario where it's only... I hear people say, oh, just live it out. But don't talk about it. I hear other people say, talk a lot about it, but there's no time given to actually living it out. The answer is in between. It's a truth-held intention. To say we love Jesus and then never be willing to talk about him? 
It's like I have someone I love in my life, but I'll never tell you about them because I'm kind of ashamed, kind of embarrassed. Got some weird family members. <laughs> so I don't say anything. I'm exaggerating for a reason. There are times where God's going to want us to share honestly with humility, but authentically. The reason I pursue the things that I pursue, becoming the person I'm becoming, challenging myself in areas that I wouldn't challenge myself in, is because actually I care and love Jesus. He's part of my life and he's made a huge difference. I mean, big one. Now I say that, and I'm reminded of different people. I was reminded of how, oh, when a person really is growing in godliness, there's a greater likelihood that they will see themselves always as inadequate representatives of Jesus. There's a real sense here that the more, how I say, the more godly we get, the more we become to realize how much we need the grace of God. So it actually, true, true godliness, when it's growing in our life, doesn't drive us into self-righteousness. It drives us into humility, right? Because we go, Lord, I'm just, the closer I get to you, the more I realize how much I lack. And how, if it was just about me trying to be good, how I'd never get there. I need your grace and work in my life. Having said that, Lord, I want to be a healer in your name. Now I'm a wounded healer. But I want to be a healer in your name. And I want to be able to invite other people to make this journey with me. I'm a traveler on the road with you, Lord. And I want to invite others to join me on that. And then, and then when we think about it this way, I put this, I put this quote in the handout. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer talking about probing internally. Just stay with me on this. Bonhoeffer was a man who was, you know, he was martyred he, in, by the Nazis. He, was, he ended up being part of a coup to, to actually take out Hitler, even though he started out as a pacifist. But at his core, he, he was an extremely godly man who had this deep depth beauty to him and a genuineness of love for God that was so real that it was contagious. And he wrote some amazing books. One of them was The Cost of Discipleship. And uh, in The Cost of Discipleship, he takes an inward look at himself. And you see a man wrapped up with his own sense of contradiction. And so he's struggling. You see how deep he got, and then the deeper he gets, the more he realizes he needs God's grace. Look what he says. And, look, and it's also very poetic. He didn't mean it that way. It just came out that way, I think. He says, who am I? Have we ever struggled with this? We have a sense of our own weakness and flaws. Part of us says we love God. The other part of us is acting like we don't even know him. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and then tomorrow I'm another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and then before myself, uh, he uses these words, contemptible, woe be gone, weakling? Or is something within me still like a it's like a beaten army fleeing in disorder. What a description, by the way, of struggle. Like a fleeing army, right? Beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory that's already been achieved. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, whatever I am, however failure I have, whatever struggles I have, thou knowest, oh God, I am thine. I, I give myself to you, Lord. And there's just like this idea of I just throw myself into your grace. I love that. I find that so inspiring, so honest, so authentic. 
You see, and it's not that I don't struggle. Sometimes I feel like I'm my own worst enemy. And yet, Lord, in the end, it's not about me. It's about you. I am thine. I am loved by you. I'm a loved son. I'm a loved daughter. It's, it's, it's more about my acceptance in you and then me living into that as one beloved than trying to earn my acceptance from you as one seeking to be loved. Do you see the difference? It, to me, and then that leads to something that, and I'll just kind of point it out right below that. One of my favorite writers, again, just stick, stick in this for a moment. See if you can see. Gordon MacDonald wrote, wrote in his book, The Mid-Course Correction. He talks about how he's at a certain place in his life where he wishes he was further along. And I know when we're younger, you know, sometimes it's like it, these things might not connect directly to us. But what he, he's doing, is he's, he's 60 years old. And now he's much older. But he's writing about his life. And he says, look, I failed in certain working relationships. I failed to live up to the intellectual standard I once set for myself. Thus far, I feel as if I failed to achieve the level of spiritual maturity. Put right in there, godliness. Spiritual maturity, I believe, right for a man. We might say for a man or a woman my age. But I will not. Then I, but I, I see him rally. He starts, he's, he's kind of lamenting kind of lost opportunity. He's kind of saying, Lord, you know, I've never really hit my potential in you. I look back on the years and I go, here's where I am and the struggles I have. And I feel like, Lord, I should be further along. I haven't really taken full advantage of it. He's like being so honest and real. But then he goes, look, but then he like rallies and he goes, but I will not permit these failures to stop me from a continuing reach to grow and overcome the limitations that my failures have disclosed. It's almost like he's saying, I know that's true, but I'm not going to let that, if that's true in my life, but I'm not going to let that then diminish my ability to move forward with God for where I am right now. In other words, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose then to say, Lord, I'm not going to allow that as an excuse. Say, oh, I just quit. I give up. I'm, gonna, I'm a failure. He's saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep trying to grow. I'm going I'm to keep learning. I'm going to expand. I can't change what has been, but I can do a lot about what it is now and where we're going. And I love that reach. It's such a positive trust. It's authentic. It's real. Last thing we'll say about godliness, at least in our conversation, is that not only is it going to have a, a show up, in terms of our love for God and show up in holiness and humility, which are two important pieces. But it's also going to show up, obviously, in the way in which we serve others. And we've alluded to this. I mean, a faith that doesn't show up, I don't mean we get it right all the time because we don't. But to say we love God and then treat people poorly, arrogantly, treat the people we say we love the best and demean them with our words, this is wrong. This is not of the Lord. God will call us on these things. We're not perfect, but that is not an excuse to not pursue the things God wants us to pursue as a growing people. And I am talking to those who have made a decision to follow the Lord. None of, a lot of these things, if we're not quite there yet, they don't really mean that much. Holiness and loving God is like kind of foreign if we're not there yet. But if we are, then we have a, we've been called, I'll leave, I'll leave us with this. <clears throat> Paul said this, and this is the last thing I'll read. In Philippians, he was talking to the church. And this is, oh, by the way, not it's not, in the, it's not in the handout. So I just want you to hear me. I'm reading actually from a, a, a different translation. It's the message translation. But this is what Paul is saying. If, just hear it out. Just, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, 
if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. How we show up in our friendships. Put yourself aside. You know, don't push your way up to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed. This is countercultural. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Whoa. No, no. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ thought of himself. That's intense. And then he starts talking about how Jesus shows an example of what it means to give ourselves away so that others may live. That's calling us up to a whole other level. And there's a part of us that will want to run away from our commitments and run away from things that we know God's calling us to, to honor and to contend for and to wrestle with. The easy thing is to quit. The harder thing is to hold the line and then ask God to give us the right attitude when things are going wrong and to be okay with the struggle. So what we're going to do, you know, is just, I, I'm going I'm to close this kind of up and tighten it up in prayer. But what we're doing a little bit differently is at the end, after our time of giving, I know a lot of, more of us are giving online these days, I get that, but after our time of giving, we're going to have a song. That song is, this is different than like a normal one, because it's going to almost be like a prayer, a literal prayer that's being sung. And I would like us to be thinking about some of the things that God may have brought to our attention, and just let that settle into us, not be in a hurry. Let's, let's worship God by not rushing through these final minutes. It's a, it's, a, it's a choice we make. So let me go ahead and pray. And then we'll have our time of giving and our closing song. But Lord, I just want to again ask you for your blessing right now. Perhaps there are certain things you've underlined or underscored that you wanted us to pay attention to. Or at least be open to addressing. And so whether it has to do with our love for you and cultivating a deeper relationship with you. And there are ways to do that. Or whether it has to do with, Lord, just us contending more for an inner alignment with the things you've taught us so there's no real gap between you know, what, we, what we know you want for us and what we're actually doing and how we're living. And, and I just, for others of us, it has to do with humility, serving others or whatever it is, representing you better in our workplace maybe or in our <coughs> environment or just whatever, Lord, however it is you want to show up. I just want to ask for your blessing over each one of us. We have our own stories, our own lives. We're all at different places different places in life, different transitions and changes, but you're meeting us where we are. So I just pray for your blessing over our closing minutes. Let us finish well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord.